welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. On today's 100th show, a new Monmouth poll has everybody flipping out, the Cherokee Nation is headed for Congress, Walsh loses his radio show, Joe Kennedy III might run for Senate, and the 13th Republican House member announces his retirement. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, there is a new national poll that has been making a lot of waves. People are flipping out. Why? Well, mainly because the poll seems to show Joe Biden slipping big time while Sanders and Warren are both looking strong. So let's dig into the poll and figure out which parts of it matter and why. So first up, methodology. The poll was conducted by Monmouth University, which is regarded very highly. I've reported on their polls many times before. They surveyed 800 adults via phone, including cell phones, between August 16th and 20th. Of that overall group, they selected 298 voters who self-identified as Democrats or leaning toward voting for a Democrat. The margin of error is relatively high at plus or minus 5.7 percentage points. With all that out of the way, here is the big shocker that has caused politics nerds to get excited. Reading from the Monmouth release, which does not carry a byline. Quote, The poll finds a virtual three-way tie among Sanders, 20%, Warren, 20%, and Biden, 19%, in the presidential nomination preferences of registered Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters across the country. Compared to Monmouth's June poll, these results represent an increase in support for both Sanders, up from 14%, and Warren, up from 15%, and a significant drop for Biden, down from 32%. End quote. Yeah, so this poll is the first and so far only poll I've seen that shows this much of a swing, this inversion where Biden is not substantially ahead of Sanders and Warren. It's interesting in part because the remainder of the field has remained pretty stable, so it sure does look like voters are reallocating their preferences among these three candidates. Reading again from the release, quote, Biden has suffered an across-the-board decline in his support since June. He lost ground with white Democrats from 32% to 18%, and voters of color from 33% to 19%, among voters without a college degree from 35% to 18%, and college graduates from 28% to 20%, with both men from 38% to 24%, and women from 29% to 16%, and among voters under 50 years old from 21% to 6%, as well as voters aged 50 and over from 42% to 33%. Most of Biden's lost support in these groups shifted almost equally toward Sanders and Warren. End quote. In a word, wow. So before we all flip out even more, even Monmouth's pollster Patrick Murray himself reminds us, quote, It's important to keep in mind that this is just one snapshot from one poll, but it does raise warning signs of increased churning in the Democratic nomination contest now that voters are starting to pay closer attention, end quote. Okay, so the last National Monmouth poll, the one they're comparing against and showing all those Biden declines, was released way back on June 19th. Hmm. So let's think for just a moment about what has happened between June 19th and now. Well, 
all the debates. And yeah, the Iowa State Fair and some other stuff. But nobody had seen a debate in the previous poll, and I suspect that might matter here. The other thing we really have to keep in mind, especially with these headline-grabbing numbers around the picks for president, is how the margin of error actually works. At 5.7% in either direction, this poll could be misreading the field substantially. And if you're trying to compare two candidates, the polling can be wrong for both of them in either direction. So for instance, Biden could, in fact, be up at around 24%, while Warren and Sanders could, in fact, be at around 15%. That would be essentially a total miss in both directions, but that's part of how polling works. That's what a margin of error is printed in the poll for. We won't really know what the deal here is until we get some more polling, but for right now, this poll is an outlier. The question is whether it's showing what is to come in the next wave of polls, or whether this was just a weird sample and, you know, noise in the system. My point there is that we should reduce the amount of flipping out for the moment and keep an eye out for additional national polls. When we see those, we can start to see whether the polling averages tend to agree, which will answer some key questions. And let me be clear, those questions are, one, is Biden still the frontrunner? Two, are Sanders and Warren actually tied? And three, why? Like, what specific factors led to all of this? And we don't have any of those answers yet. But in the meantime, there are some other notable things about this poll for the lower polling candidates. This is actually author Marianne Williamson's first qualifying poll for September and October. She gets 2% here for the first time I've ever seen in a poll that the DNC actually recognizes. She has already hit that fundraising target, so she now joins that field of potential October debaters if she can get three more. It's also good news for Booker and Yang, who already qualified, but each picked up an additional percentage point in this poll above a previous qualifying result. So for Booker, he was able to knock out a previous 3% result with this new 4% result, bringing his DNC polling average up to 3.25%. Similar story with Yang. He got 3% in this poll, and that knocks out an earlier 2% result, so his polling average is up to 2.5%, at least as far as the DNC is concerned. And by the way, the same thing happened for Sanders and Warren, as their 20% numbers in this poll each knocked out earlier 19% results that they each had in qualifying. So Sanders currently has a DNC polling average of 20.5%, and Warren has 20%. So that is pretty good evidence that they are basically tied, at least as far as the DNC is concerned. It's also very much worth mentioning that for Biden, this is the lowest polling result we have ever seen in any poll the DNC considers for debate qualification. That is why it seems so odd to me, and why we should take a breath and see if other polls confirm it. By the way, Biden's overall polling average for the DNC's upcoming debates is still a whopping 36.75%. Again, that is just counting those DNC qualifying polls. So overall, should we be flipping out? Well, probably not. We should be waiting eagerly to see what other national polls say when polling more voters.
I know a lot of you are busy people, and me too. When I look for ways to take care of myself, I need two key things. First, a schedule, and second, the activity needs to be as short as possible with the highest impact I can get. Know what I mean? Like, I can't spend three hours a day in a spa or something, but I can spend five minutes, maybe even twice a day. And it would sure help if I can do it anywhere I happen to be on my phone. And that's where an app called Simple Habit has entered my life. It's an app for meditation, relaxation, and even life coaching. There are a ton of sessions in the app that walk you through specific stuff, like dealing with stress or grief or loneliness, or even pumping yourself up before a big important meeting or a test or a date. Simple Habit is easy. When you first start out, it walks you through an excellent five-day set of sessions. Each day is just five minutes long, and it's totally doable. I want you to go to simplehabit.com ride. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a paid plan there will get 30% off. Now, you gotta use that link. It's the first link in the show notes. Again, that is simplehabit.com slash ride to get the discount and let them know you came from this show. So one last time, the first 50 listeners who go to simplehabit.com slash ride are going to get 30% off. So as I told you yesterday, my first foray into stock investing was a total mess, like a real failure, mainly due to investing magic that was snake oil that was sold to me by these weird books that claimed to have mysterious ways. Well, I bought some of those and that did not end well. So look, it's easy to find a broker who will let you buy whatever you want, but you need somebody doing the research on the ground who can tell you which stocks are actually worth it. And that's where my Wall Street comes in. They are not a broker, so you can trust them to make unbiased recommendations based on facts. They research the stocks, they give you a short list of the best ones, and they tell you why they are good, and then you can pick which of those you might want to buy. Or not. It's up to you. So check it out. Election Ride home listeners can access the entire My Wall Street app, all that research, for free, and use it for 30 days instead of the normal 7-day free trial. After a full month, you can stick with their expert guidance for just $9.99 a month. So visit mywallst.com slash ride to download the app now and get access to their market-beating stock picks and expert guidance. Again, that link is spelled mywallst.com slash ride. Next up, a story I missed last week. The Cherokee Nation has decided to exercise a right that was promised to it roughly 184 years ago in a treaty with the federal government. What's that right? Well, they can send a representative of their nation to Congress, or at least the treaty says they can, so they are giving it a shot, and we're going to have to see what the federal government does in response. Okay, so context time. we got to go all the way back to 1835 for this one. Here's part of what happened because this is a very big, complicated story. After decades of tension and war and severe mistreatment by the U.S. government and Georgia state government, the U.S. really wanted to own all the Cherokee land in the southeast. Why? Well, lots of reasons, but one of them was that gold had been discovered on those lands, and people like gold, for obvious reasons. After a whole bunch of stuff went down, the U.S. federal government signed a treaty called the Treaty of New Echota with the Cherokee Nation. It was signed in Georgia and forced members of that nation to relocate from the southeast U.S. to what is now part of Oklahoma. That's a distance of about 1,200 miles. That journey was, of course, called the Trail of Tears, because thousands of Cherokee people died making that trek from one point to another. It was essentially a forced march, because the majority of Cherokee people didn't want to make the move, didn't approve of the treaty itself, and had been denied key rights under the treaty. But the U.S. Senate forced the issue, and by 1838, the U.S. military captured Cherokee people and forced them to march. 
Despite all the death on the trail, the Cherokee Nation did survive. Meanwhile, the U.S. federal government had made a series of promises in that treaty, some of which President Andrew Jackson decided to get rid of after it was signed. Overall, the U.S. got all the Cherokee lands east of the Mississippi River. In return, the Cherokee Nation got a chunk of money around $5 million, that land reservation in Oklahoma, a land grant of 160 acres per Cherokee citizen who chose to remain, that's the part that got crossed out after it was signed, and, quote, a delegate in the House of Representatives of the United States whenever Congress shall make provision for the same, end quote. So based on that last item, Cherokee Nation leader Chuck Hoskin Jr. nominated Kimberly Teehee, who is a member of the nation and also a former Obama advisor. Her nomination will be up for approval by the Cherokee National Council later this week, and then, if that proceeds, she is headed to Washington. It's unclear whether Teehee would have voting rights in the House. The treaty doesn't actually say. There are currently six non-voting members in the House from places like Washington, D.C., and various territories like American Samoa and Guam. Now, those members can debate, they can sit on and vote in committees, but they cannot vote on the floor. And I will be interested to see how the voting issue plays out and whether the government manages to keep this part of its historic promise. Shortly after radio show host and former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh announced his primary run, his radio show's distributor announced it would pull the plug on his show. According to Radio Inc. in a story without a byline, quote, Salem Radio Network is canceling national distribution of The Joe Walsh Show on September 26th. Walsh affiliates will continue to receive the program from SRN during this 30-day period and will be given the opportunity to continue airing it from a different syndicator to be selected by Walsh. SRN may also offer a replacement for the Walsh program to any affiliates that choose not to continue with the Walsh program. End quote. Walsh himself apparently got this news right before heading into a CNN interview on the show Anderson Cooper 360, which was guest-hosted last night by John Berman. Here's a snippet from that interview. Uh, Listen in, and Berman speaks first. So you've been in the race for 24 hours? Not even, but 36 hours? I know it it feels like a long time. What's the impact, and I've been curious about this, because you're a conservative radio talk show host, and I have a hard time believing that your audience will we'll mm. like the idea that you're running against the president. So what has the impact been on your radio show? Um, 80 to 90 percent of my audience supports the president. I just found out that I lost my national radio show. So so that's gone. But I figured that might happen, John. You lost it. Why? Uh, I don't know why. I just got a notice before I came in the studio. Um, I'm running for president. I oppose this president. Most of my listeners support the president. It's not an easy thing to do to be in conservative talk radio and oppose this president. I, I knew that, John, when I made the announcement tomorrow, yesterday that it could be in jeopardy. So no more radio show at all for you? No more radio show, but that's okay. I'm going to campaign full time because, again, this president is more. John, this was a difficult thing to do. Now, by deadline today, I couldn't find much more than that. Essentially, the distributor says they're done, and I haven't seen an official comment from Walsh beyond that CNN clip. I can speculate, though, that the distributor may have done this because of the FCC's equal time rule. When a political radio or TV host decides to run for public office, that does raise big problems. Reading here from David Oxenford's Broadcast Law Blog, quote, Once a candidate becomes legally qualified, i.e. he or she has established their right to a place on the ballot by filing the necessary papers, equal opportunities rights are available to the opposing candidates. 
What this means is that if the on-air broadcaster who is running for political office stays on the air, any opposing candidate can come to the station and demand equal opportunities within seven days of the date on which the on-air announcer slash candidate was on the air and the opponent would be entitled to the same amount of time in which they can broadcast a political message to be run in the same general time period as the station employee slash candidate was on the air, end quote. So the last time we talked about this particular issue was when Mayor Pete Buttigieg did an interview on Blair Garner's country music show and Cumulus Media refused to air it. Now the difference between that and the Walsh situation is twofold. First, Buttigieg was a guest, so his total amount of airtime would have been very, very low. If every other candidate in that field actually went to that station within seven days, then yeah, they might have a case, maybe. But the second point is, the Buttigieg interview fell into an explicit exception in the rule for interviews, so there really was no case for other candidates there. It was an interview, not the person running the show. So when the host himself is running a political talk show, there is a valid legal concern that this rule might apply, and it could lead to truly bizarre things, like President Trump or Bill Weld getting equal time. So I'll keep you posted, but my guess here is the distributor did this mainly because of the FCC rule and not as some kind of retribution. All right, this next one is super quick. Joe Kennedy III is currently a congressman representing the 4th District of Massachusetts. He is also, by the way, the grandson of RFK. Anyway, the gossip today is that he may choose to run for Senate instead, potentially replacing incumbent Democrat Ed Markey in the same state. Now, this would be a primary run at first, and it is not confirmed, but it's looking pretty likely. One reason it may not be a big topic for this show is that that's already a safe Democratic seat. Changing who holds it wouldn't have any effect on the balance of the Senate. One thing to note, though, is the generational change aspect of all this. Kennedy is currently 38 years old, while Markey, the incumbent, is 73. So, just keeping you filled in for when somebody around the water cooler says, Hey, did you hear that Bobby Kennedy's grandson might be looking at the Senate? Well, he might be, but that's all we know right now. And last up today, Republican Representative Sean Duffy, who represents Wisconsin's 7th District in the House, has announced that he will retire late next month. His retirement comes due to health problems in his family. He is the 13th Republican House member to announce that he will not run again for the House in 2020. This is becoming a real theme, and Republican chances of retaking the House majority after the blue wave of 2018 are now basically zero. Now, to be fair, two people in that group are seeking other political offices, so it's not just like everybody's just jumping ship and calling it totally quits. It's also entirely possible that Duffy and others could return in future election cycles when prospects are looking a bit better. Duffy has often been mentioned as a potential Senate candidate, but that Wisconsin seat won't be on the 2020 ballot. After Duffy's announcement, the Cook Political Report immediately switched the status of his seat in Wisconsin's 7th District from solid Republican to likely Republican. So this is not a swing district by any means, but it does cause some disruption there. Reading from the Cook Political Report story by David Wasserman, quote, Under Wisconsin law, Democratic Governor Tony Evers must schedule a special election between 92 and 122 days of declaring a vacancy. But if he waits to declare a vacancy, he could schedule a special election on April 7, 2020 to coincide with Wisconsin's presidential primary and a state Supreme Court election. 
it's possible that Democrats' heated presidential primary could lead to a Democratic turnout advantage and make things more interesting. End quote. While flipping that seat does seem unlikely to me, the last link in the show notes has more from Wasserman on why it might, maybe, in a long shot, actually be possible. Well, that is it for the 100th episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, 100 shows in the can. Well, what do you think? What would you like more or less of? Find me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. All of those links are up top in the show notes, and let me know. Also, if you want to express your love or lack of love for the show with an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast thing you use, I would appreciate that. For my part, 100 shows feels great. I think I'm kind of getting the hang of this. And that's good because I hear we have an election coming up. Is there, did anybody have a confirmation? Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm getting a report that there's an election coming. So I'm going to go tune into that and figure out what's going on there. Um, as always, thanks for listening. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.